It is coming up on 303 in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. It'll be 303 in 3, 2, 1. Woof. 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 Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. BT, Ronge, and Randy, you heard the familiar voices of Adam Schefter and Andrew Luck, and you also heard from T.Y. Hilton. And yes, sometimes sports fans are the worst. Although, at the end of that game, with the people that would stick around to the end of the fourth quarter of a preseason game to learn that the key to your team's success is leaving and you really don't have an explanation as to why, I get how and why people would do it. I wouldn't do it myself, but I, I get how and why they would do it. I think what compounds it is the fact they had been basically misled before. And drinking for were... four hours at least, well, maybe yeah, seven. Yeah, that probably didn't uh, didn't help. But it was just two seasons prior to that. They were told, oh, he had shoulder surgery. He's going to be ready to go for the regular season and didn't play. And I, they probably feel like they have been misled a lot. However, if a guy's retiring... He's retiring, and there's nothing you can do about that. You just wish him the best and let him go on his way. Hard to put yourself in anybody's shoes, but I feel like given a similar situation, like if there was a guy that I thought was it was our franchise, loved him, you know, every time he's out there, cheered for him, and I found out he was retiring, I think I might end up standing up and actually clapping and cheering for him right. as he walks off as opposed to the latter. Uh, by the way, I did find it a tad interesting that it was Adam Schefter that was uh, going after Colts fans for doing that and saying that uh, since, you know, it's kind of his fault for doing his job. Yeah, it is for doing his job. I will say this. When Mark McGuire retired by sending a fax in to Rich Eisen after the 2001 season, he was roundly ripped by fans here in St. Louis for being a coward and not coming to St. Louis to announce his retirement and stuff like that. He, here's a guy that had a $32 million contract sitting in his desk drawer, two years, $32 million, and decided, like luck, it's just too painful for me to play anymore. Yeah. And rather than celebrate that, that, hey, here's a guy that's turning down a lot of money and he's not just going to take the money and run, People said, oh, man, why didn't he tell St. Louis he was retiring? Why do you have to send a fax into Rich Eisen? Now, that's absurd. That's not the kind of thing you should really get upset about. No. But but in the Colts' case, I think that you can at least have some understanding that, and I'm not talking about the fans, I'm talking about people criticizing them, which ultimately, no, he they should not have booed him. I think it was more being upset with the whole thing. Yeah. Not necessarily upset that he decided to retire, but they felt like they were misled so they would buy season tickets, mm -hmm. thinking he was going to be okay, like they had been misled before. Here they went and bought season tickets expecting a season of Andrew Luck, and now he's just completely done. And they feel like they held off on that information as long as possible to get people to pay money for season tickets, and then they gave them the news. Now there's value for sports talk radio in situations like this because people always, almost inevitably, reveal themselves to be complete idiots. Like Pete Prisco of CBS Sports who said uh, on Twitter, did Andrew Luck ever truly love it? Legit question. Or Doug Gottlieb, and we all know about his tweet. Retiring cause rehabbing is too hard is the most millennial thing ever. Hashtag Andrew Luck. And then he spent five minutes walking it back on the next show that he had about how, oh, it was just sarcasm. If you know me, you know it was sarcasm. Wow. If it is sarcasm, I think it's hilarious, actually. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm, uh, I am also a uh, joke about things way too soon guy, so.
you know, what are you going to do? It happens. <laughs> I really <laughs> enjoyed that coach from Van Wilder. He was really good. Now, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback, talked about some of the backlash that Andrew Luck received. You know, he's making a really tough decision. And even before that, you know, he makes a decision. I don't know why that doesn't stay in-house to kind of protect, protect them a little bit. Although, when I think about it, I thought it would have been, you know, more of a standing ovation type thing and a thank you than, than booze. No such thing as staying in-house, by the way. No, not there, there is no such thing. Uh, because wh- whether you tell a couple of coaches or you tell – because he told some of the guys before, too. Yep. I mean, uh, Jacoby Brissett knew that he was mm-hmm. going to be the guy. You don't think Jacoby's going to call his agent and be mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm QB1. Like, uh, he's gone. Andrew's gone. So his agent's going to talk. Like, there's no such – there is no such thing as a secret anymore. Right. Right, and so I mean, you can't really expect that to to, to happen. Um, as much as you want to keep everything in house, or the organization wants that, it just it's not realistic. There's always going to be a leak somewhere. Um, but going back to the Prisco question of did he ever really love it? Okay, let's say he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Who cares? Who cares if he loved it? All I care about as a fan is: do you work hard? Do you do the job you're supposed to do? To the best of your ability, do you do you work your ass off to make sure you're on the field as best you possibly can? And then when you're out there, do you win for me? That's all I care about. I don't need you to love it. So all the people who have questioned that after the fact, Dan Dockich was doing the mm-hmm. exact same thing. Who cares if well, he didn't love it? I'm sure he did because I don't think you do it if you don't have some kind of love for it. But I don't need you to love it to be good at it. And you don't get to the level at that position at the quarterback position at Stanford and in the NFL, unless you do love it and you apply yourself completely. Correct. You you can't do that job halfway uh, unless you're just an unbelievable physical specimen. But you have to love it. You have to study it. You have to be completely immersed while you're doing it. And, yeah, you have to love it if you're going to be that immersed. It doesn't have to be your only thing, though, because no, right, I think right. that's been a lot of the conversation around Andrew Luck. He's got other things going on. Ultimately, that's with a Andrew good thing, Luck, by the way, yeah, it can be to have other things going sure. on in life and care about other uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that can be good. All right, so we spent a lot of time talking about Andrew Luck. Has there been anything that you guys have experienced from a fan standpoint where you're just like, yuck? Like, what are we doing? But the thing that comes to mind for me, and I was still playing at the time, was. When Izzy was warming up in the bullpen and people would come down and boo him in yep. the pen warming up and certainly got some boos on the field. And by the way, again, congratulations to the uh, one of the latest Cardinals Hall of Famers in uh, Jason Isringhausen. But that was one like, what are we the BFIB? Is this baseball heaven here? What the hell are you people doing? It was shameful that Izzy's family couldn't come to games anymore because of the way he was treated by the BFIB. And that is inexcusable. It's just not something that's becoming of a St. Louis crowd. There's that. There was the uh, Dennis Eckersley getting yelled at. And I remember him yelling back at the people in the crowd on the way off the field once. Um, What did you guys think of the Toronto Raptors fans cheering when Durant got hurt? Yeah, that was was awful. That That's was pretty, a really pretty bad messed one. up. Yeah. And that happened also in Philadelphia, where it's expected when Michael Irvin's career came to an yeah. end. He um, essentially broke his neck, and the Philly fans were cheering that injury. Guys, uh, wasn't Case Keenum cheered when he got, like, knocked out? Didn't that happen here? That was in Baltimore. That was it in, was Baltimore? in Baltimore? Yeah. Oh, maybe it was just on Twitter people were cheering here. Yeah, I think they probably were probably a little bit. But then they put him right back out there, so it was fine. <laughs> yeah. 
Not a it good, was great. Not a good one either. There was the throwing of the baseballs on the field when McGuire got called out. I think it was 98. Yeah. It was that summer. Yeah, with the White Sox. Yeah. First, in, uh, first inning and balls on the field, not, you know, baseballs. It was a giveaway uh-huh. day, right? I believe it was. And then everybody threw the baseballs on the field. That's what prompted Jack Buck to tell everybody to be nice to the umpires the following game, and they did. Yeah, every now and then it yeah. happens. It's, and, and social media has made this worse. People like, well, Chris Long had to leave social media for a while when he was here because of the way he was treated by quote-unquote Rams fans. Well, it just gives you a way to access players. It does. And Dexter Fowler I don't think emo- I don't think emotions are any worse. It's just easier to get to the people you're well, upset with. But I do think the evil has been emboldened in our country, especially when it comes to a, a race relations situation oh, like sure. Dexter Fowler or Jason Hayward. I think that people are emboldened to send right. tweets anonymous, uh, anonymously, of course, to take shots and try to hurt players. You can almost argue it was worse when people send letters because Dusty Baker used to get a ton mm-hmm. from just the most vile racist stuff, and he would keep them on his desk, and he would show people if they asked, look, here's what I got today. Um, and they were they were pretty nasty, you mm-hmm. know? The, to take the time to get a piece of paper out, write down your racist thoughts, put them in an envelope, put a stamp on it, address it, that's, Hank that's some got kind a ton of crazy. Of in oh, his absolutely. book, I Had a Hammer, he, he recounts yep. a lot of the letters that he received. It's pretty disgusting. So, you know what? Some people suck. Oh yeah, for sure. Overall, overall, a lot but of good fans, people out there, a lot of really crappy ones too. We could be pretty too. good at. Uh, we could be better at being fans sometimes. You know, think about it something before you react. I guess. Hashtag fire mo. Hashtag fire army. That would have worked out well. Yeah, that's Twitter. Twitter's a whole different area. Yeah, we should is. be better on there too. Yeah, we should. We could just be happy as people. Oh, and, and uh, one more uh, fan that that is terrible. Uh, Little League youth football. Uh, oh, youth anything fans. Uh, and fans. Which are parents. Okay? Yeah, right. Be better as parents. Be good examples out there. You can do that, can't you? I'm with you. I'm, I say that until you guys read about me getting ran from one of my kids' games. <laughs> yeah, Mitch Williams. Yeah. <laughs> nice oh, goal. my God, yes. Berating a <laughs> what, 13-year-old umpire. What an a-hole. Next up, Carly Lloyd is eyeing the NFL next year, and her presence could get the ball rolling for all women in male-dominated sports. That's next on 101 ESPN. That's U.S. women's national team member Carly Lloyd, who recently told Fox Sports that she is in discussions with her husband and trainer James about the reality of playing in the National Football League. Wouldn't that be something to have a female in the NFL? And I've seen a lot over the years in high school and a little, a lot less in college, but high, female high school kickers. And Carly Lloyd did hit that 55-yarder into narrow uh, granted, she didn't have a, a rush, but uh, between narrow uprights last week. Yeah, everybody's trying to break it down. Oh, she took six steps instead of two. Who cares? Like, she yeah. booted it. She, and uh, who who cares if there's an opportunity that's given at some point? She Everything has to be it. earned. She did not double doink do it. That's, have a, to that's bring a thing. Up, why do you have to bring up it's, painful stuff? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, it's crazy though, because football we think of. I mean, football that's our modern day gladiators. I mean, right. that's that's what it is. It's the toughest sport, and very easily could be though the first major sport to have a female in it, due to the fact that that's a very specific job right there is kicking a ball. I think it's a I think it's a lot easier to potentially do that than make it to Major League Baseball, where I mean, bigger, stronger, faster. Most most of the athletes there are same thing in the nba i think it's going to be a little bit more difficult but to 
kick a ball through the uprights, you need a strong leg. And well, she certainly has that. Yeah, and she even said that, yeah, she would need a little bit of, of time to work on footwork. And, and nobody, even a, a, a men's soccer player who decides to play football instead and become a kicker, they don't do it immediately and have the right footwork and know how it's to be done. I mean, they have to, to work on it. And she said, yeah, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to practice. I'd have to figure out uh, the right sort of steps I'm supposed to take, where I'm supposed to line up before the kick and all that. I don't have a ton of doubt that if she were able to and, and she was given the time to practice for a considerable mm-hmm. period, that she'd be okay to do that. Maybe, maybe she could. I don't know. But I, I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand. And I know if there were NFL teams that were interested in allowing her to do it during this preseason, then there are other people in important positions that think it's possible. You just want to avoid getting around the same team with like a Greg Hardy or something like that. Honestly, stuff like that, I mean, that's that's going to be the, one of the larger issues. The, the issue is, first of all, you have to earn anything. Any job that you get, you have to earn it. Nobody's just going to hand you a job in the NFL because you're Carly Lloyd right. and you have a of name and you have a video of you kicking a 55-yarder. you got to earn it. So you'd have to worry about all of the other things. We got a text a minute ago from the 636 that she would die if she got hit by a 300-pound lineman who runs a 4 When do kickers get hit? Oh, it happens, of course. I know, but, they're, but they don't get... Yeah, not it's often. Not the, they're not put in the same sort of uh, situation no, as a quarterback. No, but, but it happens. Uh, again, an inherent risk to a job. So if you do get hit, that's what you signed up for, just like everybody else. It is what it is. Uh, and we got another one, too, that said uh, if if a player to that same idea, if a player gets a clean shot in a situation, would they take it on Carly Lloyd? You know, if, if they had a chance to do so. Also, it says the locker room situation is kind of tricky. Certainly it is. Guess what? These organizations make plenty of money to figure out any sticky situation. If they mm-hmm. need to make a, a private area just for whether it be Carly Lloyd or, or uh, you know, any female, you can do that and, and you can make it a safe space. But it takes very strong leadership to make sure that you you have your team fall in line. And this isn't uh, if it was Carly Lloyd signing with. Let's uh, pick a team that has no chance with a kicker. The Bears, okay? Let's, let's just say the Bears just for fun. Um, the, then you better make sure that you have the right people in the room to say, look, this is not a this is not a publicity stunt. This is not a ploy. This is our right. kicker. She is on your team, and you better respect her as so. If she is capable of helping your team win, it's not on her to adjust to everybody else. It's on everybody else to adjust to her because she's she would be there to help them win ball games. So if a player couldn't handle it, grow up. If a coach couldn't handle it, same thing. Grow up. This this lady would be there to help you. That is, again, if she can do the job, if she's capable of, of look, thinking about this as a Bears fan, we've already taken our shots at the Bears and Cody Parkey, and he sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she had been capable of burying that field goal to win that game against the Eagles, I don't care what sex she is. I don't care. Can she do the job? That's all that matters. And if she can do the job, it's on everybody else around her to grow up and deal with it. Now, women are making their way in men's professional sports. In 2014, Becky Hammond became the NBA's first full-time female coach in any of the four pro sports leagues. She interviewed for the Bucks head coaching job in May of 2018 and enters her sixth season as one of the top assistants under Greg Popovich. There are several other female assistants in the NBA, and now there are some in the NFL as well. So well, women are making their way in pro sports, and if you didn't get an opportunity to see uh, 
Mark Saxon's piece last really week. Good. There's a, a woman in the Cardinal organization in their front office. It's one of their top analytics people. And if they can do the job as well or better than a man, then more power to them in getting that job. That's pretty much the bottom line. I don't think there's anything more to it. You, 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 if it's a, I don't know if there's, there's some sort. If you have a problem with it, like if you're a player or. There will be players that have a problem with it. Well, yeah, you just have to grow up and get over it. I, I, and I think that there's going to be a, a very difficult thing, though, of figuring out what the line is, because I think that you guys both know this very well. When you're within a clubhouse atmosphere and when you're within, uh, you know, locker room, whatever, lines are very blurred. Like you say stuff that yeah. you would never say to somebody on the street, but it's not meant in a demeaning or, or bad way. It's just because that's how we talk to each other. Like, I, I feel like. Not only do you have to have the right skill set to do something, okay, to, to be the first female on an NFL team, but you probably also have to have the, the right thickness of skin to realize that there's going to be a lot of that anyhow, whether it's, it's uh, um, harmful or, or, or it won't be meant in a certain way, you would hope, but you're still going to get it. Uh, I, I, I feel like you have to have the right person overall. Yeah, well, I'm I'm certain there are women capable of having that kind of relationship because I think they have it with, can with that, their friends. Can that too. person kick also? Yeah, I don't, know. don't know. I don't know. Just saying, you got to pick, got to pick the right one. I, well, I think the bottom line here is, can can she help a team win? I don't know, maybe, but if she can, that's all that matters. And hopefully, her just talking about this and her presence at Eagles camp last week, Eagles and. Ravens, by the way, with joint practices, and she got a chance to talk to Justin Tucker, the best kicker, kicker in the league, and got some tips from him as well. Hopefully just this discussion will That's prompt it. some young ladies and inspire some young ladies to get out there and start kicking. No. Are women going to play running back in the NFL? Are they going to play on, in the, on the offensive line? No, because inherently women aren't as big and strong as men are. But for that specific job, women can do it. And the more we talk about it, the more used to it people get and that it doesn't really become a time at, at some point it's no longer really a discussion because the discussion has been had and settled mm -hmm. that is if we continue to talk about it so hopefully it does happen I'm, I'm rooting for it and if that's something she wants to do and if the team thinks she can help then by all means go do it coming up in the fast lane jerry jones won't pass up a chance to talk about his absent running back we've got his latest comments next in your hot topics of the day here on 101 espn The Cardinals have already won this series against the Brewers, trying to sweep the series and win for the seventh time in a row. And right now, as we speak, the Cardinals are in the seventh inning at or eighth inning now at Miller Park, and they trail the Brewers by a score of three to one. One other day game in the National League, the Yankees lead the Mariners in the second inning, two nil. By the way, the Cubs are back in action tonight against the Mets. Hendricks against Syndergaard will go in that game. And that really is the only one that Cardinal fans, fortunately, have to scoreboard watch for. The Cubs, are the, because the Cardinals are playing the Brewers today, Cardinals really don't need to worry about the wild card at the moment. So just keep an eye on the, the Cubs and the Mets tonight. i give you something to watch. Cubs-Mets always entertaining. Yeah. Thor. I'm, I'm still keeping an eye on what the Phillies do. I mean, they're close enough. They might end up factoring. They have the Pirates tonight at home. So they could end them. They could find themselves in the postseason as well. I don't know if I feel confident for them, but it's possible.
And they, they would just need to go on quite a run to catch the Cardinals in the National League wild card race. I, I think they're probably looking at best at the second wild card race. At the moment, Philadelphia is five games behind the Cardinals. And they'll, they'll need a lot of help, and hopefully the Cardinals won't allow that to happen. Uh, but we know the league has been fluctuating most of the year, so anything can happen. Football, Jerry Jones talking about Ezekiel Elliott. He said today, we have to be prepared to play without any given player. We may very well play without a player that's not coming in on his contract. We'll play and play well. We've got a marathon here. We want Zeke when we get the play, get to the playoffs. We want Zeke when we're in the dog days of this season. A fresh Zeke, if we got to the end, would be great. So, there so you go. he's oh, saying sure. he's ve- being very patient, and he'll just yeah. hold on till the end. Get him at midseason. What happens when you drop the first couple of games? Because that's what, while you never want your teammates to struggle and have them lose, that's what Zeke's camp is going to want, is the first couple of games, they have no ground game. Uh, the, they can't get anything going in the air due to the fact that the team is one-dimensional and they need him badly. I wonder if he adjusts his stance if they get off to a bad start. Because he seems to be a reactionary kind of guy, I would think that he probably would. But if they get off to a 2-0 and o start, I'm sure he'll be more oh, likely to stand pat. Oh, absolutely. No question. I wonder if it's true, the report out there, that Zeke has been offered a contract that would make him one of the two highest-paid running backs in the league. I wonder why he wouldn't take that. Obviously, if you don't, you think that you are the best and you deserve to be paid as the best. But there's really, if it's between the current one and two, it's not that big of a difference. Yeah, but but you know this, it's all about ego, right? It's all about setting the market and being the benchmark and having that contract. And when you, you look at the overall numbers for Zeke Elliott, there's nothing that says he shouldn't be the highest paid guy. So maybe it is the, the, the sticking point, right? Which his people will just say, ah, you know, misunderstanding, boys being boys. Like that that's the way that they're going to break it down. They go down to look at the field and say, our guy's the guy. I don't agree with it. I think that you should go out there. They're giving you a very respectable contract. You go do it. But I'm sure that's the business side of it. I guess he still feels like he can wait as long as he wants to, as long as he wants, because that contract, that offer isn't going to go anywhere. If it's there, Jerry Jones is not going to say, well, season's about to start, so we're going to pull that offer since you don't want to take it. He'll leave it out there for him. Number so maybe one, he just feels like he can do that. One right now is Todd Gurley, correct? Right. Is making the most money. Yeah. I believe that's right. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is second. So um, I would pay him more than those guys if I were Jerry Jones. I, I get it, though. He's got other contracts That's he's got to take thing, care yeah. of. You got Dak Prescott. You got Amari Cooper. Uh, you, you ended up uh, – you just took care of uh, at least one or two contracts. There's only so much money to go around. I know he's not up for a couple of years, but I need this group whole. Yeah, and that uh-huh. – Not that whole. It's a different whole. I'm saying in its entirety – you as a fan? oh, never mind. Yeah, as a whole, no. I, know, I don't you know. know. It's, it's something. I don't know. For those of you that have yet to draft in your fantasy football leagues, Jarek McKinnon made his return to practice on Tuesday as he continued his recovery from a torn ACL that kept him out all of last year. However, that positive momentum was short-lived. Tom Pelissero of NFL Network reporting that McKinnon suffered a flare-up in his surgically repaired knee and once again has been put on the shelf John Lynch saying that things were not encouraging surrounding McKinnon 
So that's bad news for the 49ers who wanted to have Garoppolo and McKinnon back for this season, and they really don't have a great running game. That sucks. Uh, Garoppolo, small sample size, has apparently not looked very great either. No. Which is a little bit of a problem. I wonder what Garoppolo is going to be. We know he's crazy high paid because tis the world you live in when you're a quarterback and your contract is up. They're just going to pay you a lot of money. But I, I kind of want him to be good. I, I like it in sports when the Blue Bloods are are respectable at the very least. The Niners are one of those franchises where you look at them just like, oh, they should be good. Hasn't really been the case uh, recently uh, at the very least. I kind of hope he's able to turn around, but I just don't know with what they got over there. I think it's funny that three years later we're still trying to figure out if he's any good, and, and we don't know yet. And he got a big contract after a handful of starts. Sam Bradford. I, I mean, it's it's the same deal. It's the the injuries, and he's been able to have some success when he has been healthy enough to play. But just like Sam, he the most important ability is availability. It's it's one and thing to Garoppolo get, hasn't been there. If you get drafted like top three and you make a ton of money because you've been drafted that high, okay, we're still trying to figure out if you're good. But when you get signed from another team and you get a huge deal, and there is not much of a body of work to assess whether or not you're any good and you still get that money, that what a situation. I, I hope it does work out for them, but if it doesn't, I, I don't think that you could um, – you could see this coming. You could see it coming that things just don't work out, giving a deal to somebody who doesn't really – or hasn't really proved it yet. And college, yes, BT. Oh, I, I just had a, uh, another question for you, but we got a. Di- uh, it was a different story. So you got a storyline first. I'll go back to mine. Go okay. ahead. Just college football, Mizzou opens up against Wyoming Saturday night in Laramie, and that game can be seen, I believe, on CBS Sports Network. And Alabama's defensive signal caller, linebacker Dylan Moses, will likely miss the season with a torn ACL suffered in practice yesterday. That sucks. Sweet I'm fancy glad that Moses. college football is upon us. I, I really did. Week zero uh, ended up uh, watching most of both games just because it's been too long yeah. since college football was on. So uh, I think games, uh, well, tomorrow night, Friday night, and then Saturday, obviously the full slate. Um, I really hope. Is it Clemson tomorrow night, by the way? I don't know. I don't know. Florida A&M and UCF tomorrow. Yeah, Georgia Tech and Clemson tomorrow. That'll be good. Yeah, it'll be fun. Even though Clemson's favored by like 36 points. Yeah, it's still it'll football. Be, that'll be football, right? Yep. That's uh, that's the big thing. So I'm excited for Mizzou to get started. Can't wait to see the Kelly Bryant era, which will be a year, and, and see what it's all about, man. It's, it's football yet again. And I'm just really waiting to see what happens with the NCAA and what they decide. That sucks, man. Why can't they get this figured out now? Why does it take so long to figure this out? Because they're stupid. Oh, that's why. That's a simple explanation. And somebody put a graphic up that's pretty fun. When you take out the injuries that Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck missed because of the seasons that they missed because of injury, Luck and Manning together played 19 seasons. Tom Brady has played 19. Brady with nine Super Bowl appearances. Luck and Manning with two, obviously both with Manning. Brady with the six Super Bowl wins. And Luck and Manning with one. 40 playoff games for Brady. 27 for Manning and Luck combined. Brady's well, pretty good. Yep. That's got is. goat written all over it, doesn't it? Hey, when are we going to stop does. having the conversation about when his career is over because his career is yeah. actually over? Is that going to be five years from now? Probably. I've, we're going to do this every year. Yeah. When, at some when's point, it going to be, be right, year? though. At some yeah. point, it's going to happen. Do you think, though, that if Peyton Manning would have been afforded the protection and coaching 
an organization that Brady was, that he could have done what Brady did in New England? Probably, yeah. I mean, just yeah, as intelligent. reality is he wasn't there, but. Yeah, right. no, 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 I, I do. Uh, I think that that happens way too often in sports where you get the right guy in the wrong spot, gets yep. drafted to the wrong team, or, or is a quarterback get, that gets thrusted right into starting when he really could use a year or two to be the guy and back up. Unfortunately, that's the system. That's the way it is. But I bet there are a lot of stories like that where somebody just ended up in the right place or the wrong place. And, again, not everybody knew Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady's six-rounder, and he showed up, and people were like, eh, I don't know. If yeah, maybe the, Brady doesn't do that if he's with somebody else. The, the There was a bad snap that led to a St. Louis Rams win in the 2011 season. If that bad snap doesn't occur, the Rams have the first pick in the draft in That's 2012, luck. and they would have taken Andrew Luck and traded Bradford. So Andrew Luck's career would have ended a lot earlier than it did. Oh. Oh, for sure. <laughs> even though the Colts didn't protect him, yeah. the Rams would do even worse. Yeah, even worse. They weren't even going to try with luck. No. That's for sure. Hey, next up in the fast lane, everything the ESPN 30 for 30 series puts out is pure gold, and they've done it again with a recent podcast series, The Sterling Affairs. ESPN's Ramona Shelburne joins us to talk about that next in the fast lane on 101 ESPN. That is NBA Commissioner Adam Silver five years ago making the announcement that former Clippers owner Donald Sterling was banned for life, and he subsequently was forced to sell the team for $2.2 billion to Steve Ballmer. With Cardinal World Series champ Brad Thompson and Chris Ranji, I'm Randy Carricker, and Ramona Shelburne and ESPN have put together what is not only a must-listen, but once you start listening, you can't stop listening to a 30 for 30 podcast with the undefeated The Sterling Affairs. It's a multi-part series examining Donald Sterling and his affairs leading up to the banishment by the NBA. Ramona Shelburne put it together. She voiced it, and she's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Ramona, this is Randy Carricker. Thanks so much for taking some time, and congratulations on the great work that you did on this. Hey, thank you. Did you binge listen? <laughs> yeah, totally. And and I'm not a, a guy who binge listens, but once I started, I couldn't stop. You know, I like to think of myself as a serious NBA reporter and writer, but this is like all trashy and sleazy. <laughs> I'm hanging out with paparazzi and talking about B. Stiviano. <laughs> it was like, you know, for me covering it, it was kind of fun to just like take a take a dip into the celebrity news side and and uh, and experience that world of the rich and famous and you know some of their really bad behavior sometimes. And I'm sure you've heard this over the last uh, several days as you've done interviews about this. On this particular sports talk show, you wouldn't believe the amount of mileage we got out of East Iviano. Oh, yeah. I mean, she, <laughs> like, even even now, the other day, she was, like, trending. Somebody, I think when Andrew Luck retired, somebody tweeted out, is this the strangest thing that's happened in sports in a while? And then everybody started talking about Donald Sterling. Somebody <laughs> tweeted the clip of East Iviano saying, I'm his silly rabbit. <laughs> right? And then that went viral again. And I was like, I mean, it really is, like... You just couldn't make up characters like that. And, like, I'm a writer at heart, and I like good characters and good story. And, like, you know, there's this, there's the, 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 the love triangle. I, I really don't want to even use the word love. Like, it's not love, <laughs> whatever they add between them. It's kind of sick and codependent and um, tawdry and whatever else you want to say. But um, the way this unfair the, this affair unfolds is just you couldn't make it up. I mean, there's just the characters involved. I mean, it's like B. Stiviano literally went to the same high school as Donald and Shelley Sterling 
in East Los Angeles, 50 years apart. (laughs) Awesome. They both grew up poor. They both changed their names to become somebody else. Donald Sterling ends up becoming rich and famous as a real estate baron and then as owner of the Clippers. Beast Viviano was, like, working at a food truck. When she met Donald Sterling, she was trying to get herself cast on reality TV shows, and then she becomes his, his, you know, his side piece or whatever the, the lingo is. I mean, it's like, you know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of, you know, I, I always looked at it as people come to Los Angeles, and that's my town, you know, so I know I know L.A. pretty well, and there's a lot of people come to town, like, you know, you have that, that pretty woman thing, right? Like, you, you, you come looking for, you know, Prince Charming, you come looking to become an actress or an actor for the, that Hollywood dream. And most people don't make it. Most people kind of come up short, um, and they chase that fame for, for way too long. And then kind of even when you get a little taste of that fame, it's not really what you were looking for. It's not fulfilling. Um, and I think in some respects, like, all three of the main people in this story kind of have that chase of celebrity and fame and find out that once you get it, it's really not what you're looking for. Ramona, one of the craziest things to me is that you, you know how people are. Generally, if you mess up, if you screw something up, if you make a decision, you realize it was a wrong decision, generally you don't trend down that path again. Well, I guess Donald Sterling's just not a regular, normal person because this V. Stiviano is the one that everybody remembers, but he had a very similar relationship in the past, did he not? Oh, several. Okay. <laughs> like, this is, and, and, and by the way, after this all blows up with V, he goes and there's his photograph several several weeks later with the paparazzi with like one of V's friends at some resort in Palm Springs. I mean, he's still at it. Player's gonna play. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's 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 pretty sick. I mean, he even says that in Anderson Cooper. I should have known better that she didn't love me. Like, you think? <laughs> You're 50 years older than her, quite a bit. You know, like it's really not about whether she loves you. She just loves the life, okay, and the money you give her and the gifts. Um, but he just keeps doing it. It's a pattern. And, and he, I don't know if he convinces himself that they do love him, if they, he just likes the feeling of power, if, like, it makes him feel like more of a man to have a woman like that on his arm. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't under, understand men the way you guys probably do, right? I mean, I have a husband and a son, but it's, it's you know, I, I don't understand men like Donald Sterling. Um, they, I, I just for the life of me, can't understand how somebody would see these relationships and believe they're real. But he not only keeps doing it, um, he does it afterwards, even after he got burned and lost everything. You're like, I mean, I I think you kind of deserve what you get at that point. Ramona, we will help you understand. We all strive to be an old billionaire creep. Every, (laughs) Every one of us, that's all we want in life is just to be an old (laughs) billionaire sagging creep. Yeah, but, like, okay, so you have all that, and I think this is, like, a real central theme of the story. Like, Jerry Buss had that, too. I mean, Jerry Buss was, like, a a Hugh Hefner's really good friend. He was always at the Playboy Mansion and photographed with, like, much younger women, but he was kind of like the Derek Jeter type. Like, they all – everybody has really good things to say about Jerry Buss and his, you know, younger women. Um, And, like, I think he treated him well, and I think there was sort of, like, a genuine affection there. Um, And, you know – I don't know if it was love, okay, but um, there was a sort of like politeness and niceties where they leave, everybody leaves feeling like they got out of it what they were expecting to. Um, whereas with Donald Sterling, there's this weird controlling side um, that uh, none of the mistresses leave happy. There's a lot of lawsuits that are settled with non-disclosure agreements. So some of the mistresses that in the past that we talked to couldn't actually 
divulge anything because they sign non-disclosures. Um, and there's a few that you have public depositions. Most of those records you can't find because they, they're, you know, they as part of the settlement. But um, there's another one named Alexandra Castor who went down almost from the same playbook. And like the way she describes her relationship with Sterling is like humiliating. Like she's, you know, she wanted him to bathe. She wanted he wanted her to bathe him and Ugh. put his socks on. And then I mean, it's like kind of creepy. And uh, you know, at the end, he gives this like incredible deposition. You know, de- detailing their sex acts, right? Which I, of course, have to read the deposition in oh. the podcast. I don't know how you feel about all that in episode yeah. three, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, let's just say it's not—it's definitely not—it's not, not for kids that part. Um, but I had to read it, and it's like it was embarrassing to me to read it for anyone to talk about their sexual life publicly. But then I pictured Donald Sterling describing his sex acts and how wonderful it was with Alexander Castor, like a former mistress. And she's sitting right there in front of him. Like, he's doing it to embarrass her. He's doing it to humiliate her and, and to make her feel bad about it. And it's kind of sick, right? Like, that power play and that controlling nature. How does the situation, as, as far as the league goes, how does it play out if Adam Silver is not the commissioner at the time? It's unbelievable, right? Like, I mean, just I, hearing from players involved with Clippers and the Warriors, during that playoff series, when the tapes come out, how close they all were to walking off the court in protest. Like, the Clippers had talked about it. They decided they didn't really want to because they felt like, you know, we just we never played for him in the first place. We sort of happened to play for his franchise that avoided him at all costs. So why should we, you know, punish ourselves and our season over him? Um, and, but the Warriors, everyone, a lot of people were really offended by these tapes and felt like even if the NBA was going to do something about it, like, they just still had to protest. And the Warriors players told me, like, they were ready to walk off the court with them. So it's not like they would have forfeited. Like, it was going to be, like, two teams walk onto the court and then walk off. And I don't know what happens if they do that. Like, the rest of the league might fall, might have followed suit. It might have been all of the playoffs get canceled. And, like, Adam Silver, literally less than 90 days into the job, has this scandal, you know, to put on his plate and has to act quickly and decisively, and he has to manage things behind the scenes as much as he does forward-facing, so he has to do an investigation, but then he has to keep the players calm, and he has to keep Doc Rivers calm, people in the organization calm, and assure them, like, he is going to act severely and swiftly, and which he ends up doing. And, and like, honestly, I don't think it would have waited one more day. I don't think it would have waited till Game 5. I was in L.A. that day, and it felt like the city felt like it did, you know, when they were going to read the, the verdict in the O.J. trial. It felt like mm. the, when they were going to read the verdict in the Rodney King trial. Like, it was a city that was waiting to explode. And instead of being disappointed in the justice system, Adam Silver comes out with this punishment that, like, everybody roundly cheers. Like, I was literally doing a live shot for Sports Center at the time, and Adam Silver bans him for life, and there's, like, cars driving by honking their horns, celebrating like the Clippers won a championship. Ramona Shelburne of ESPN, and the podcast series is called The Sterling Affairs. You can find it at the ESPN Pod Center or at Apple Podcasts. One of the things that I learned that I was not aware of at all, Ramona, is that you mentioned Jerry Buss earlier. And being from L.A., mm-hmm. you probably would have known Jerry Buss. Do you think that if it's not for Dur- Donald Sterling, we ever hear of Jerry Buss here in St. Louis? I don't know. I mean, he, he may not have closed on the sale for the Lakers. I mean, it, So Jerry Buss has this really complicated deal to buy the Lakers and the Kings, the LA Kings hockey team, 
um, the Fabulous Forum, which uh, it wasn't called the Fabulous Forum, it was just the Forum, okay, and it was Inglewood, but we called it the Fabulous Forum, um, and this, like, ranch up in Fort Tejon, which is near the, on the 5 freeway, um, and Jack had this, Jack didn't want to sell, but he was getting divorced, and that's how you had to split up your property, this community property, so Jack divides up his assets, Jerry Buss is ready to close on this deal, and it's, like, super complicated, there's a lot of real estate changing hands, and one of his investors backs out at the 11th hour, and he's $3.5 million short. At you know 1979, that's not that's not chump change. Like he has, there's not that many people who have just like three million dollars in the bank that can wire it to you in the morning. But Donald Sterling was one of them, and so they had a mutual friend friend who was a real, another real estate guy that was a, a mutual friend, and they they connected up on it and went to the bank in the morning at the day of the close. And Donald Sterling gets out the three and three point five million dollars. Jerry Buss hands over eleven of his apartment buildings in Santa Monica, and that's how Jerry Buss closes on the Lakers. Amazing. Otherwise. I don't know that that happened. Yeah, and then the dominoes keep falling because at that yeah. point, uh, you, you have uh, you, you have Donald Sterling see what Jerry Buss does and what he turns that into, and then the celebrity, the stardom that is there, and then all of a sudden being filthy rich isn't enough for him, is it? No. I mean, it's like it starts this like lifelong insecurity complex because in so many ways they are the same guy. Like Jerry Buss, Donald Sterling both grew up poor, both both self-made men put themselves through college or through graduate school. Donald Sterling went to law school in, in Los Angeles. He was sort of, he was back then he was known as Donald Tokowitz and he was discriminated against because he was Jewish and they couldn't get jobs at the top law firms. Um, and so he changes his name to Sterling. He, he, he takes the money he makes as a personal injury attorney and turns it into real estate and starts buying up half of LA and, and he's really good at that job. Um, and then, you know, has all that money and it's like what do you do when you're rich you, you what do you want to spend it on you know you have more money than you could ever need and so you there was people who told me he thought about a run for a political office there were people who told me you know that he, he thought about all sorts of things to do with that money you know once you once you have that you, you want to spend it on something um and i think that first year at the forum the, the impression we had was you know from a lot of people who were there and would see donald sterling you know as a, as a frequent guest of jerry buses at the forum um was you know, he's, this is showtime. This is Magic Johnson. And he, he goes to Jerry Buss's publicist, a man named Bob Steiner, and says, I want you to do for me what you did for Jerry Buss. And Bob Steiner says, I, I can't. Uh, you'd have to buy the Lakers. And so, like, literally two years later, Donald Sterling goes and buys the San Diego Clippers with Jerry Buss vouching for him as an owner. Amazing. Ramona Shelburne, what you've done with this series is fantastic. And uh, yeah, we, we all love the, even though we say, oh, well, we're listening for the sports. We love the sleeves, just like you said off the top. I love the sleeves. Stay for the sports. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, we, we love the work. Thanks so much. And we advise everybody to listen to it and keep up the great work. You've always done fantastic work at ESPN and we really admire it. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on and listening to the podcast. Thanks, Ramona. Ramona Shelburne, ESPN with us on 101 ESPN. It is 4 o'clock, and we have a new fighter coming your way next in the fast lane on 101 ESPN.